Konnichiwa, my friends. Thanks for tuning in to another amazing podcast episode of Master Samurai Tech Radio. Today is August 19th, 2015, and this is episode three. We're your hosts, Samurai Appliance Repairman. And Mrs. Samurai. And want to thank you for listening to us, tuning in, downloading, subscribing on iTunes, which you can do now. Just search Master Samurai Tech on iTunes and you can subscribe to us right there. We are all official. We are. Um, we are rocking a new theme too, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We, are. we had some comments on it we too. We did. We're playing with some new themes. People like that uh, sort of Quentin Tarantino. Sam Siasia uh, commented on it at the Master Ta- Samurai Tech blog post uh, for the ep- episode two. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And like in fact, the- you can always comment there. We, we post these uh, podcasts there. So even if you've subscribed on iTunes, we encourage interaction over at the MST blog. Absolutely. Would love to hear from you. Com- you can comment there. You can comment at YouTube. You can comment here. You can comment there. You can comment anywhere. Because we're everywhere. That's right. You may comment anywhere. But we may not see it. Oh, okay. But we are in a lot of places, yeah. so we may. Right. Okay. All right. So enough of that silliness. Let's go right into some industry news. Ms. Samra, I think you got some tidbits for us. Yeah, I came across a couple of tidbits that are interesting. One is, it's an article I saw, on, and it's referencing a study that was from 2007, and you can find it floating around the internet and people talking about it, talking about the average major appliance lifespan and how uh, nowadays, or at least in the late 2000s, um, the, it was down to about 10 years. They say that's shorter than previously, but they don't really quote the previous number. But we all know that appliances are being replaced and, and repaired more fre- frequently than they used to. And of course, it's a difficult uh, metric to, to measure because I think what they're getting at is how, at what point people decide to buy a new one. Right, because here's what I struggle with. Uh, these are machines, right? They don't have life. They're not biological entities. They can always be repaired. And so what's interesting about this article is it's apparently taking into some sort of metric that it's not just about when it makes economical sense to do a repair. In other words, a cost of repair running right into the cost of replacement. They're actually getting into some other uh, replacement parameters. Right. I, I think it's basically they're getting at uh, consumer psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for example, we have a 35-year-old dryer. The old shrinky all. Now, see, and we're happy right? with that. We're, I know. We're, we're slumlords. But and so we're slumming. I mean, we got we got a nice we got a double wide trailer park. Two of them stuck together. Yeah. Well, actually, we're going to go for the triple wide soon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we going we're going to bring our kids back. They're going to live well, you know. Uh. Anyway, it's <laughs> going a little <laughs> off topic. So, but for for us techs and and you know the what affects our businesses, uh, this is what I kind of thought was interesting from this report. It indicated that owners hesitate to have units over eight years old repaired, and even earlier than that, if they get a repair estimate that is more than half the price of a new model. Silliness. That's what I call disposable income. Yeah. and I mean, I thought we were in tight economic times, and people are like pissing away money. Oh, I'll buy a new one. Well, and I wonder if some of it is they're just worried that it's going to be one thing after another. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the mean time between repairs. And I tell people this. I tell my customers this, and I think this is common knowledge. Anybody who's working the trade or any length of time, all the new stuff, the mean time between repairs or mean time between failures. There's an engineering acronym for that. MTBF. 
Okay. Yeah, engineers calculate this stuff. Every okay. little part in that appliance has an MTBF, mean time between failure. And it's about, on aggregate, about two years. So about every two years, okay, there's a range, you know, two, four, three, something like that. So maybe say every three years, something, something like that. This is not scientific. This is based on my experience. I've seen some stuff on some of the MTBFs out there. So, and you're talking, you know, every two, three years, you're going to be doing some type of repair. What's really going to vary is the severity of that repair and the expense. It's right. kind of what varies among the models and among some of the brands. Right. And I think psychologically, com- customers have a hard time with, well, for example, we got called the other day on a chest freezer that's only about a five or seven cubic foot chest freezer uh, that had stopped cooling. And it was only a few years old. But if you go look at Home Depot's website, you can replace that for 200 bucks. Yeah. But well, let's say the compressor had gone out. The compressor alone, the cost of the parts over 300 yeah. But you can buy a whole new one for 200 Isn't that so, nuts? You know, there Naughty. are these things going Naughty. on. Naughty. Well, how about that call we got on that scrotum scrubber? Yeah, they got my scrotum scrubber so clogged up with hair. Yeah, I never seem to be around when those calls yeah, come in. Yeah, come clean it out. Okay, anyway, <laughs> we'll segue to my other little tidbit that kind of uh, gets into this. Because uh, as servicers, again, our, our sometimes our biggest competition is not the other servicer in town. It's the cheap new appliance. It's the replacement. Right? That's it. That is the the glass ceiling. So we like to hear news like this. Uh, this is from a, a blog from Yale Home Appliance and Lightning. Lighting. I almost said lightning. Uh, they're in Massachusetts, and they have a very active blog. Very, They com- do a lot of uh, brand comparisons, things like that. Uh, so they are talking about how the segment of the appliance industry called affordable luxury is the fastest growing segment affordable so we're right. it's that upper midline appliance. yes so stainless steel mm-hmm. some of the features like shallow depth refrigeration we got the look <laughs> ultra oh, yeah. quiet dishwashers and uh, the brands that are, are the top names in this realm are Bosch, Electrolux, Samsung, and KitchenAid. Electrolux, who to thunk it? I know, they're, but they're finding, they're, they're realizing this they're, is a... They're a, making inroads. They're making that niche. Right. You know, Bosch, I, okay, um, but what were some of the other ones? Uh, Samsung and KitchenAid. Now, Samsung, I can see. Samsung's good stuff. I mean, I don't know if a lot of you guys out there, if you've worked on Samsung stuff, anybody who has, I tell you, I've been impressed by just the fit and finish, how it goes, how they go together. Everything's like precise. Mm, they they nice. just got it all. Yeah, very, very nice stuff to work with. I well, think. people say that because of all their work in the electronics world, they know design. They know what appeals to they, people. They have a sense of precision, too, right. that I think is is lacking among some of the other manufacturers. Yeah. I won't name names yet. <laughs> Because they might want to sponsor the show. That's true. We'll, play, we'll, we'll p- try to be vague. By the way, Samsung is not a sponsor. No, no. I no, just happen to like their stuff. <laughs> so uh, just to wrap this up, the another thing is if people are redoing a whole kitchen, they can save a lot of money by buying all one brand. There's package, package deals and rebates available. Um, and so people are outfitting a whole kitchen for somewhere from three to five thousand dollars for four appliances. That's good news for us because that puts them at a price point where they're very likely to f- do repairs, and you know not just because of what they paid for each appliance, but because they all match. And we've all run into that no, customers that, who I, don't want their appliances again, to not it's match. That, it's that yes, and this is that disposable income point that I made. I mean. 
So you've got money, like you mentioned, we have a 35-year-old dryer. It doesn't match our washer. It doesn't match anything else in the modern age. But and I die a little inside every time I go in the laundry room. Yeah, I mean, room. it's like, who cares? It's way back in the laundry room. And yet people get like all anal about this stuff. So, But they've got money to placate that anality. Hmm. That sounds like a slogan. Placate mm-hmm. that anality. See, and they've got and what and I don't understand where it's coming from today. I thought we were in tough times. I'm 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 gabberflasted. Well, some people are, and and I think probably all of you uh, experiences out there with service businesses, you you have a range of customers, and uh, and so these are the same people too who will complain about your service called diagnostic fee. So, you know, you tell them it's going to be X amount, whatever your diagnostic, mine's 95 uh, currently, so a service called diagnostic fee to go out, and people will complain about it. Just to look at it? Just to look at it. What do you want? Oh, yeah, hey, that's a really nice range. I like that color. That'll be $95, please. Yeah, that's what we do. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what you get for 95 bucks. You all guys, right. You guys all know this. but and So anything else on industry news? That's it for today. All right. Well, I think we should take a well-deserved break. Mostly, um, some, of you, some, some of you guys are wondering about the breaks. Uh, they're short. They're mostly to give our listeners a break from listening to us. So you know, <laughs> Get a little music. Yeah. I mean, for us, we just stop the recording and then put in the uh, bumper music for 15 seconds, and then voila, we're back. So... So that's that's what's going on here behind the scenes. Mostly, it's for your listening pleasure. It gives you a few seconds to to enjoy, mull over what you've just heard, and prepare for the next yes. onslaught. Contemplate and meditate, and because coming right up, coming at you, is going to be news about Master Samurai Tech, some metrics, some fun facts to oh, know and tell. Spoiling the surprise! Oh, no, 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 no! I'm just giving giving overviews, and then everybody's favorite segment. Tech Talk. We need a jingle for that. We do need a jingle for that. So, speaking of jingles, let's go to a jingle right now. And we're back. It's hot in here. I know. Why is that, well, Mr. Samurai? Yeah, well, we, it's, it's like, what, 83 degrees out. Well, people, it doesn't sound hot to people, but, you know, we're, we're pasty New Englanders. I know. It's not supposed to be like this. It's, uh, and it's hot outside and humid, and we've had to turn our window shaker air conditioner off so it wouldn't make too much noise and, you know, drown out my, my dainty little voice. <laughs> I know. But, you know, we'll suffer through it for uh, our listeners. We are, because we're, we're, that's what we're all about. It's, it's that uh, persecution, prosecution. Perseverance? Prostitution. No, no, no. I think we're going in the wrong direction. Okay. How about some Master Samurai Tech news? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Thanks for getting me back on track here. So, big news. Our YouTube channel just passed over 4 million views. Woohoo! Hope I didn't overmodulate the mic too much on that one. But I, I guess we'll find out. So, yes, uh, over 4 million views. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks for uh, the growth rate, for subscribing to the channel. and um, Yeah, it's getting really exciting. Well, it, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it, it took us, I think, about a year and a half. When we first started really significantly adding videos, it took about a year and a half or so to get a million, our first million views. And now this, this last million that we just got, going from three to four million, took six months. That's wild. So, yeah. it's, so it's not linear. If we were to graph this, it would be exponential. Yes. It would be an exponential curve, starting off sort of a slope, and then just quickly... 
I know. Going up. I wish you guys could have seen his gesturing describing that just now. But I picture a snowball. But mostly, and again, it's just uh, thanks again, everyone, yep. for watching. It's um, it's really gratifying. It's encouraging to me to keep making the videos. You know, I've had the YouTube channel. Well, I've had it for a number of years, but it was really only in 2012 that I started cranking out videos. It, you know, it was mostly, and that coincided mostly with the with me getting uh, an iPhone. And, and discovering you could make videos. Well, and their cameras had just come up to enough quality that right. it was actually made sense. Where because that's I don't I don't have to do the professional studio and have high dollar videos and have the fancy theme music and all that stuff. I do all my videos on my iPhone, mm -hmm. and so a lot of them, you guys, if you've seen any of my videos, they're done right at an actual service call and I'm switching back and forth so I'm holding in my left hand and I'm pointing stuff out with my right hand and I get people commenting on my hang nails and telling me <laughs> I need bag balm and all this stuff so they lack a lot if, in polish but I hope it more than makes up for that in content and interest and illumination and just uh, trying to explain things mostly I'm trying to just show that troubleshooting process right I mean we only have so much time in the day so we've definitely decided it's worth it to get the content out there right. and not try to spiff it up too Actually, much or that's else right we wouldn't get it out that there. was that was a deliberate decision because yeah. yeah you can you can you can really spend a lot of time on production mm -hmm. a lot of time and money right. and have a whole it's a whole separate specialty or just use the stuff that's built into the iPhone and then I can do I produce the videos all on the iPhone using iMovie on on the iPhone app and uh, bring in their theme music, bring in a photo and uh, or, or, or several photos, and I can do a voiceover in, in places when I need to. And so it's all done that way. But my thought was, I thought, yeah, like what you just said, it was much more important to get the content out there and not be hindered by, oh, it's less than perfect. I know it's less than perfect. I've had people on the YouTube channel complain, dude, the camera's really shaky. Well, yeah, I'm on a real service call here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep, and sometimes you hear the customers or their dogs on oh, yeah. their TVs. You'll hear or babies crying. I mean, but... you know, it's it's real world. It's it's like uh, it's like that show Cops. You know, where it's oh, it's yeah. ugly. It's oh, showing yeah. showing you gritty right there on the street. But it's all real useful, helpful stuff, and and you know, thankfully we do get a lot of uh, people telling us that it's super helpful. Appreciate that. Yep. And uh, we are also putting our podcasts up there now too. So a lot of people prefer to. Follow the YouTube channel. I encourage you to do that. By the way, if you're not a if you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, go ahead and subscribe because then you'll get notified of our um, new videos that I put up. And I my my pacing varies. I don't have like a regular schedule that I put them up there. It's like whenever something interesting comes along, either like a topic comes up in appliantology that's oh yeah, this would be a good thing to make a video out. Or I'm on a service call and it's like oh wow, this is a good scenario to make a video out of and put up on YouTube easy enough to do mm -hmm. but it's just when that subject uh, subject matter presents itself which is kind of unpredictable but you know i've got like uh 250 videos up there. wow i knew it was over 200 yeah 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 it's well over 200 that's awesome so it's it's somewhere around there some like 250 not all of them are public view some of them are private view and uh, very few of them mm -hmm. but most of them are public view so anyway um in our podcast episodes now, we're, we're putting those up there on our YouTube channel, so you can get notified of those that way. You can, some people prefer to watch them through YouTube viewer and yep. listen to the podcast. So. so don't risk missing out. Don't risk it. But you can also, um, it's, the other thing I wanted to bring up about putting them on uh, the podcast episodes on YouTube is that you can comment there. And some people prefer to comment on the YouTube channel. 
So you can comment on the, our podcast episodes either at YouTube or at the uh, Master Samurai Tech blog post for that particular episode, either one, so whatever you want to do, uh, whatever is convenient for you. Uh, you know, we're there. As we said before, we're everywhere, but we, not, we may not hear it everywhere. How did I say We're that? everywhere we need to be. That's right. How That's about right. that? There's some company had a saying like that. I forgot who it is. Well, they probably ripped it off from me. Yeah, yeah. That always happens yeah, to us. I know. So anyway. Um, Another thing that's nice, if you subscribe to YouTube, that helps to boost our ranking or whatever. I mean, the, the more subscribers we have, the more views, the more other people will then find our videos. Right. So it's a way to help spread the appliantological word. Gospel. Yes, actually, yes, absolutely. You know, this is a great point because it is a way to help uh, spread the the appliantological gospel, and it's not going to cost you anything. Eh, a little subscription, you know, you don't have to pay, you don't have to do anything else. Just subscribe, uh, follow us on Facebook, um, follow us on Twitter. You know, our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/fixitnowsamurai. Right. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com/slash/samurairepairman. Right. So. Probably the easiest way is to go to either website, either MasterSamuraiTech.com or Appliantology.org, and we have our little social media icons. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wanted to end it there, and I wanted to go ahead and jump right into Tech Talk. <gasps> no break? We're going right into no, Tech Talk? We're crazy. You we're are a wild man. We're insane. We're goofy. All um, right. Let's go for it. So one thing, I want to start off. Uh, with a little correction or errata uh, from last week's episode when we, when we were talking about loading meters. And I said that the loading meter places a large draw, and it does compared to a DMM, but it places a large draw on the order of an amp on a circuit being tested. You may not remember that, so maybe this is like an unnecessary confession. But anyway, it got me thinking, it's, uh, I should test this. This is testable. You know, and, and so it turns out it's actually not an amp. It's not really in, even in the, in the order of an amp. It's more in the order of like 30 milliamps ah. for a, a loading meter with, and there is a standard. And in fact, I did, a, I made a video. If you go to the Master Samurai Tech blog at mastersamuraitech.com, main menu, support, mouse down, there, and there's the blog there. But there's a post there, the, low, the most recent one, dated August 17th, 2015, the lowdown on loading meters and DMMs. And there is a, an industry standard, as it turns out, for what a loading meter, in low impedance, what that is. And that's about three kilo-ohms. So, um, and that's what makes a loading meter. So, right, the lower that input impedance, the higher its current draw is going to be. Right? It's Ohm's law. Mm -hmm. I is equal to E over R. And impedance is represented by the symbol Z. And I explain all this in the post, but just, just to give a quick run through. Impedance is uh, represented by the symbol Z, and it represents both real-world resistance as well as what they call reactance. And reactance is another type of resistance, and the engineers call it imaginary resistance, although it's real. It just has to be vectored in in a certain way. But, so it's, a, it's reactants put out by capacitors and inductors, capacitive reactants and inductive reactants. And those can be, once you properly sum those in, you just add in the resistance, the capacitive reactants, the inductive reactants. Those three make your Z, your impedance. So impedance is the total universe of resistance um, that, that can be present in any circuit. 
And particularly in when you're talking about like a meter circuit, you have all of those present. So when you're talking about input impedance, you're talking about the resistance that that meter presents to the circuit, to the current flow from that circuit when you place your probes across a load uh, or somewhere else in that circuit to measure voltage. And a low impedance meter, meaning it has an input impedance on the order of about 3 kilo ohms, 3,000 ohms, um, has a current draw, as it turns out, of on the order of 30 milliamps. And that's about the standard. So and and so those are the loading meters. Loading meters, and mm -hmm. so obviously the lower that input impedance, and with a loading meter, you want the current draw to be as high as possible. You want that input impedance to be as low as practical. Uh, now there are practical limits, and that is how hot can your meter get, and for how long can it can how what do you have to have inside that meter to be able to withstand that current draw. So um, the, now with your regular DMMs, digital multimeters. It has a very high input impedance on the order of one mega ohms. Better meters will have even much higher input impedance of that. So, so the, that's a million or more yes, ohms. Yes, okay. right, yeah. And so the current draw that these DMMs will have is negligible. The circuit doesn't even know it. And so the article talks about when do you use a loading meter and when do you use a DMM. Each have their place. Each are important. Your DMMs you're going to be using on for sensitive control circuitry, DC circuits, um, you know, checking that, that pulse width modulated voltage from uh, the microcomputer board to an inverter board, right, in an inverter compressor or in a front load washer. That pulse width modulated signal is simply a DC square wave. It goes up for some length of time, go down in your meter. You would use your DMM to check that. You don't want to use your loading meter to do that because it will place a load on that electronic circuit that's producing that pulse width modulated signal. You use the loading meter, by contrast, for power circuits. And um, in our business, mostly AC power circuits, where you're checking for real 120 volts being present somewhere. 120 volts AC I'm talking about. So, and you don't want to be confused and befuddled by things like ghost voltages and open neutrals or high resistance connections. And your, your, and ghost voltages and the art, and I go into this in detail, are things like, so if you've got a wire harness mm -hmm. and you've got, and it's got an open connection or say it's an open neutral, it's a dead wire in that harness for, for whatever reason, usually an open connection of some type. And you've got a live wire next to it in that harness. That live wire will capacitively couple a voltage, a static voltage into that dead wire. Hmm. Your uh, DMM will actually bridge that and measure that as like a voltage divider, measure that voltage in that dead wire as some like 80, 85% 80, voltage of line, 85% of line voltage. Mm -hmm. And uh, because you're, it's got such a high input impedance that it's not discharging that capacitor in the, what's effectively a capacitor, that capacitive static voltage in that dead wire. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, the way I understand it, it's, it builds up a, a static charge and yeah. the DMM doesn't discharge that in right. any way. So it reads it as You're, a voltage. Exactly. The there. loading meter does. It drains that capacitor. So it, it's not fooled by that. So the solenoid doesn't vibrate and the lights don't go off. And I show in the video a, a feature that um, I was recently edumacated on, on the Fluke 116, 117 meters 
they have what's called a low Z function, low input impedance. It will emulate the function of a Wiggy, and I compare the input impedances in the current draw on the, 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 a Fluke 117 and the Wiggy solenoid voltage tester, um, both their current draw and their input impedance, and they're very comparable. So, interesting article. I just I point you to that. Watch the video. Read the article. Um, really um, interesting stuff. But I used so now I just carry the Fluke 117, and now that I know to use the low Z mm -hmm. function for AC power testing, um, again I am not fooled. You know the Wiggy kept me from being fooled by ghost voltages and open neutrals before, but the Fluke 117 with the low Z function will do the same thing. All right. And there was something else, a fun fact to know and tell, about the Wiggy. Oh. Well, how did the Wiggy get its name? Now, the Wiggy, and just to refresh everybody who didn't happen to listen to episode two, the uh, Wiggy refers to a voltage tester that has a solenoid in there. So when you, And when you place your probes across a good, valid voltage source, line voltage source, or DC voltage source, so the Wiggy will also do DC, the solenoid will go off and it will vibrate as well as it lights and it, it, you know, it has, does a, a visual gauge meter as well. So it's not called a wiggy because it wiggles? No, and that's what I kind of thought it was too. I thought it was called that. That's why they it's called so it a cute. wiggy. I know, because it vibrated. It's actually called that because it's short for Wiggington Tester. Who Wiggington? Oh, so apparently Lord Earl Wiggington <laughs> got a bee up his bonnet one day and said, Darling... What if I stick my wiggy in your outlet? <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, I think I got that on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Well, then definitely. <laughs> Totes. It's for real. All right. Well, I think that's enough for this one. We've done enough damage here for today. Yep. Yep. And my work here is done. Alrighty then. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening again. I appreciate it. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And and let us know if there's any things you'd like us to talk about. Yes, these great point. Great point. Um, keep those suggestions coming. Keep the questions coming. Um, anything like that that's of particular interest to you guys. This this is your show. So it's it's your show. That we want to make it about stuff that you're interested in listening to. So. Uh, let us know. All right. And until next time. Sayonara. Bye.